0: All right, I'll open in a word of prayer before I get myself into trouble. Might be too late. Lord, I thank you so much for your word and just the way that uh, it is given to us to just in passing, we can be encouraged by it, Lord. But when we really delve deep into your word, Lord, we are fed and our souls are satisfied. Everything from an intellectual level to uh, emotional to spiritual, Lord, it is no wonder you've called it... uh, Food and it's no longer we should, or, or no wonder why we should not uh, look at it and strive for it and desire it and and be sustained by it, Lord. And we just thank you for that. Much in the way you've blessed us now with some rain that was so sorely needed, Lord. We we look to your word to also revive our souls. It's in your Son's name we pray these things. Amen. Uh, Genesis forty two is where we're at, and genesis forty two and we 'll see how far we get, but we are in the process now of God bringing the people of Israel into Egypt through his providential hand. joseph has been uh, has been sold into slavery by his brothers after the plot to kill him in their minds didn 't produce a profit uh, that they could get from selling him on, but the expectation is that at this point in time, Joseph is dead. His brothers, in their hearts, understood that, that selling him onto slavery not only removed him, gave him profit, but also the expectation would be that he wouldn't live long and he would surely be dead by now. God uses that to take Joseph into a situation where Joseph is a slave and then a prisoner. And then last week, he has made the ruler of all Egypt. God has lifted him up, and this has happened through uh, three sets of dreams. The the latest one by Pharaoh himself, and Pharaoh sets Joseph up, and and uh, the position is one of great abundance is coming for seven years, and then more importantly, there'll be a great famine in the land, and Joseph Joseph is selected as the one that can lead. The entire nation and and really the entire known world out of this famine, or the entire uh, concentration of mankind, the vast majority of them out of this. And this is the position that God has raised Joseph up. Joseph is in a position of authority that's only second to Pharaoh himself. With that, now we we turn and and back to his brothers, because you have to remember this isn't a story about Joseph as much as it's a story about God bringing about the seed that is promised in Genesis 3, that God is working on bringing about Christ to the people to save them from their sins, going all the way back to Genesis 3. And and you can't forget that that's the timeline we're on. And that, again, it, it would be wonderful to read this for the first time without knowing it. I wish I, I wish I could do that as an adult. I think that would be amazing. I'd love to talk to somebody who's an adult reading through this and stop them right here and see what they think of what's going on and, and what's going to happen next. We have, we have that picture. and uh, So, no spoiler alert, but God is doing this so that he can propagate his seed. And his seed isn't even coming through Joseph. We know that the seed is going to come through another one that isn't Joseph. And so this is more, there must be something else that's very important to God here. And I think that very important thing to God here is his people. He is producing for himself a people that will be called by his name and known to the whole world as the people of God. He is going to separate them out and he is going to grow them in the land of Egypt. And that's what we're seeing. So... We are seeing the process that it took for God to bring his people into Egypt, where he is going to incubate, as it were, this small band of brothers into a mighty nation. And he's using the life of Joseph to accomplish that. And all the ups and downs of Joseph's life are providentially controlled by God to accomplish the goal that God has here for his people. His ultimate goal isn't to make Joseph turn out well, or to punish his brothers, but it's instead to bring his people so that the seed will come through them, and that God will have a nation of his own to call his own. And we saw last time that God is using the nation of Egypt and lifting up the nation of Egypt, something that we often look at as being a nation that's not... Uh, that's more of a representation of the whole world outside of Israel or the world as far as chasing earthly things. But he's actually going to bless the land of Egypt in doing so. God cares about all the nations, but it's through the people of Israel that even, or the nation of Israel as it's just being born, that Egypt itself is blessed. Not unlike we see when we turn to Revelation or when we saw if we turn back to the promises to Abram that all the nations of the world will be blessed in Abraham through the seed that's coming. And we're starting to see that play out here, even in Genesis 41, 42. So Genesis 42, uh, we'll, we'll start here. And as I mentioned, they're, they're being they're, they're going to Egypt, which means they have to leave the land of promise. And we've seen them leave the land of promise since Abraham got there. God promised him the land and brought him there. We've seen Abraham flee to Egypt because of famine in uh, chapter 12. Then we see when Eliezer, Abraham's servant, is sent to Haran to find Isaac a wife, he makes it very clear to Eliezer that he is to not take Isaac with him. Do not let Isaac, leave the land. You go get his wife and you bring her back here. In fact, if she won't come, you're free from any kind of commitment to me in this regard. The importance of the land itself and staying in the land is made. Then we saw Ishmael and Esau, two that were not in the line that would produce this seed that would save all the nations of the world, all the peoples of the world. They removed themselves from the land. Both Ishmael and Esau moved further to the south and a little bit east for Esau, but kind of south and west for Ishmael. And they established their nations, and Genesis mentions no problem with them leaving the land. Then we see the the whole soap opera that took place episode with Jacob having to flee his brother after stealing his birthright and his blessing. And he has to leave the land and the sorrow that comes from that. And God's promise at Jacob's ladder to, to bring him back to the land, that this will be the land where he will return. And, and eventually Jacob says, no, I have to go back. And he leaves Laban. And then we saw the, the episode that brings Joseph into slavery last time, or two, two lessons ago. And all of these are to say that it's famine or... Or the importance of staying in the land, fleeing from your brother. Those who are not of the seed or are pushed out of the land or removed from the land. And then Joseph being sold out. Not the best circumstances. Because the land is very important. Uh, The promised land makes you think back to restoring all things to where they were before. It makes you think back to the beginning of the book, to Eden. And this promise of the land is connected to the promise of the seed in some way. And this nation is somehow connected that that the seed is going to be connected to land. It's going to be connected to a people, and it's going to be connected to him as a ruler. And we're seeing all this play out now. So 42, 1 through 5, Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his son, Why are you staring at one another? Behold, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us. From that place, so that we may live and not die. The ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brothers, Benjamin, with his brothers, for he said, I am afraid that harm may befall him. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. If you remember, the famine spread throughout the world. So Jacob says, you know, you guys are sitting around doing nothing, we need food, go get food. He's getting fairly old. These are all grown men that he's talking to, but Jacob has not forgotten what happened to Joseph. And if you remember, Joseph was lost in the hands of his brothers, both both literally, but also in Jacob's mind, believing that he had been torn apart by wild animals, it was on his way to see his brothers or in his brother's care that this happened. And he does not trust his 10 oldest children to take care of their, their youngest brother. And he cannot afford to lose it. And it mentions that there are 10 brothers of Joseph, but specifically that Joseph had a brother, Benjamin. And, and just to remind you that Joseph and Benjamin shared the same mother, the love of Jacob's life, Rachel, and therefore we're even closer to their father, and their father had them when he was advanced in years. And that that made them all the more special to him, these two sons. And he is not willing to lose it. And you can imagine that having lost Joseph, how much more precious to him Benjamin became to him. The importance of Benjamin to him in his heart. He just cannot. It would break his heart. He would be done. One of the worst things to ever witness is a parent losing a child, even when that child is, is older. And it just would be too much for him to lose both of them. Enough that everyone sees it and knows it. So Jacob keeps Benjamin behind. And then verse 6, Joseph was a ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, Where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So the amazing thing here to me is, and I've always kind of wondered about this, is the fact that Joseph comes to the land, or I'm sorry, his brothers come to the land to buy food, and Joseph is there. What is Joseph doing there? What's Joseph's position? Where is he? Why is he there when people are buying the food that he's put in? There's got to be multiple storehouses and everything, right? He can't be there all the time. So certainly God's providence puts Joseph in a position when they arrive there, that Joseph is there, but also it again speaks to Joseph. For those of you who want to find somebody, you're like, you know, I want to be a leader in church or I want to be a leader in my work. I want to be a leader in whatever activity or hobby or whatever you do. Take a look at the life of Joseph. Joseph continually raises himself to the top and it isn't just simply God saying, well, I'm going to put you in that position. There are means that God uses to move people. Joseph has displayed some pretty amazing qualities. We saw when faced with Pharaoh, he, he explained to Pharaoh not only what the problem is, but here's your solution. And Pharaoh said, that sounds like you're really wise. How about you run it? Now we're seeing that Joseph was hands-on in carrying out the plan. Joseph was actually attending to the distribution of food and how it was going about and monitoring it. And even was there when he saw his brothers. And he somehow disguises himself so they don't recognize him. But Joseph is involved into the day-to-day activities of carrying out the plan that he has put in. He doesn't just set it in place and walk away and hope things turn out right. Those of you who are involved at the upper elevations of business know that those who are truly successful work hard and long hours and take on great amount of stress. and, And here we see Joseph involved in what he is doing as well. So, Joseph then, in verse 8, recognizes his brothers, although they did not recognize him, and he remembers the dreams which he had about them and said to them, you are spies, you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. And something must have clicked in Joseph when, back in verse 6, his brothers come and bow down to them with their faces on the ground, it's like, aha, There it is. And we we stated that he must have believed in dreams because certainly when the baker and the cupbearer and Pharaoh himself had dreams, he told them God is the one who can interpret dreams and holds these things and they will come to pass. This is gonna happen. So he himself believed in his own dreams and had faith that God would would do those as well or he wouldn't have been confident in those, those other people's dreams. And here he sees it actually come to pass. His brothers are bowing down before him. His brothers do not recognize him. And Joseph accuses them of being spies. Now, not a big stretch here. So Joseph, this, this group is a group of 10 men, all of varying ages, but 10 grown men. And they, you have to remember, this is a motley crew of adulterers, murderers, and kidnappers. These are not nice people, and they've just come from a land of famine, and though they had wealth through their father Jacob's success, they still would have, it wouldn't be completely out of the ordinary for them to be assumed to be possibly spies from another nation. Ten men from another nation who have come down together and look to be up to no good. Why are 10 of you here? What are, who are you from? What nation are you from? Well, we're not from a nation. Yeah, whatever. And, and, you know, you don't look like the cleanest cut group of guys, and I'm a little worried that you, you might be spies. Now, Joseph obviously knows who they are, and he's pushing them. And they say to him, verse 10, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men, your servants, not spies. And I think Joseph knew. What he was doing and saying that and trying to get them to admit they're all related. Because you know what? We're not 10 men from a country where, that's here to spy out the land. We're actually 10 brothers. So that's why there's 10 of us. We're all here. We're your servants. No, no harm. No, they understand the position that Joseph himself has. That would have been clear to them. Joseph says, no, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers in all. The sons of one man in the land of Canaan, and behold, the youngest is with our father today and is no longer alive. Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, and your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So they put them in jail put them all together in prison for three days. So Joseph pushes them to give a, a reason for why there's 10 of them coming together, 10 grown men coming together into the land to buy food. And their explanation is, no, you know, the reason there's 10 of us is, well, there's actually 12. Uh, one's no longer alive and one's back with dad and we're brothers and we're just here to buy food. Just sell us food. That's all, that's all we've come here for. So Joseph, now understanding that he has the upper hand, starts to put them on. Is it for a, somehow I did this wrong today. There's a uh, soccer term. He's put them on the back foot. They are they are now not thinking clearly. They are now fearing for what may happen next. And we see Joseph keeping them off balance for the duration of these three chapters. But he's doing this, and the reason it works so well is because he's dealing with men who have great amount of guilt. And in a way, Joseph is testing them to see if there is guilt there. You have to remember, one of the other things about Joseph is he understands and and can read people well. We saw that with his concern even for the, the jailed cupbearer and the jailed baker and he's utilizing those skills now to sift his other his own brothers and to find out what they're really like what happens when we push them and all as well as to find out if his father and his younger brother are still alive his younger brother who is not involved with selling him off to Egypt his father who he de- this whole time doesn't even know if he is still around it's not clear here if Jacob or if uh, Joseph inquires about Benjamin and Jacob, but over in chapter 43 in verse 70, the brothers tell, I'm sorry, not 43, 70. In chapter 43, the the brothers say, yeah, he asked specifically about whether you were alive and whether Benjamin was okay. So he steers the conversation to the family to find out about them. He knows their pressure and he uses it, utilizing their guilt, and it also gives them an idea of whether or not he truly loves his, their brother and their father still. So verse 18, he's got him in prison for three days. Certainly there would have been some, you know how long I was in prison? How about you guys go spend some time there, see what that's like. It may have even been the same prison that Joseph had spent time in. Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live for I fear God. Now we're going to see him mention God with a capital G, the God, the God of the Hebrews over and over again before his brothers realize who they are. And that's why I say his brothers here, I think are are a little bit confused and they aren't, they are so overwhelmed by the situation as well as the guilt that they have. We're going to find that's playing a part in this, that they don't recognize who's standing before them, even with the language that he uses. So he says, do this and live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go carry grain from the famine of, the, of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words may be verified, and you will not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother. Now understand, they, they, Joseph to this point, we find out later, is speaking through an interpreter. He's not using their language And they say to one another, truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them saying, and if you remember, Reuben's going to explain here, but Reuben didn't want to have happen what happened. Did I not tell you do not sin against the boy and would you not listen? Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. It must have been just two things that he's that he's realized here that, that I that bring emotions out in in my heart. One is hearing what his brothers did and hearing that they acknowledged their sin. That they they threw him in a cistern and left him there to die and heard his cries and ignored it their own brother their own flesh and blood and then went on to sell him on but the other thing that strikes him here I believe is is Reuben and he finds out that Reuben tried to defend him that Reuben had as I'm sure he finds out later tried to to come back and and free the boy and and have him live and understood the situation better than his brothers Reuben is is certainly not in a good standing with his father because of his own sin. But, but Reuben here d- displays for them, or displays for Joseph what his role in all this was. And that had to affect Joseph as well. So Joseph uh, goes away to cry, to weep. But when he returns to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey, and thus it was done for them. And it is interesting that he chooses not Reuben, the oldest, but Simeon, the next. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this, and and one of them would be that Simeon would have been the oldest who was left when Joseph was thrown into a cistern. And probably the ringleader. And we have to remember, I said that this was a band of murderers. Simeon and, and his brother went and killed, uh, oh, which, what were their names? The Ashkelites? The Shechemites. Over Leah, their sister. So Joseph keeps Simeon back. Is also... I think was wise on the part of Joseph because it removes the oldest of the bad apples as they go back to get Benjamin. And his influence on his brothers is removed as well. There's a lot of reasons he could have picked Simeon. We don't know what Simeon was like when Joseph was growing up, but Joseph keeps Simeon. I don't think it was because they were more concerned about Simeon than the rest of them, so they'd for sure come back. I think he knew full well that trading Simeon for Benjamin would never happen. But we see this, this vindication of, of Reuben in the side of Joseph, so his, his good intentions are, are brought to light, and the guilt is, is continuing to build for the remainder of the brothers. And we see that Joseph takes advantage of this and heaps even more guilt on their heads. Joseph gives orders to put their bags filled with the grain that they came to buy and then also all the money that they brought to buy the grain. And they loaded their donkeys and they depart. And one of them happens to open the sack after they're on their way and to give his donkey some of the food and sees the money is back in the mouth of the sack, and he says, my brother has been returned, or my money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? It's a little different than the fear that Joseph mentioned of God. Their fear of God here is Joseph's fear was a noble fear that caused him to do the right thing and encouraged them to do the right thing. This is a fear of God that that came because they had done something wrong. That's not a wrong fear either. To fear God when you've done wrong is not a bad thing. It's a positive thing to fear God when you've done wrong. That's part of the, the joy of the fear of the Lord comes from knowing when you've done wrong and having that weight on you and these these men are starting to feel that weight, and they're starting to, to have an inkling as to why it is coming about. In verse 29, when they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man, the man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us and took us for spies in the country. But we said to him, we are honest men, we are not spies. Now that's not true. Um, The spies part isn't, but honest men. Certainly they were honest in their current dealings. But not, again, these are not great, honest, righteous men that we're dealing with. We told him, we are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no longer alive, and the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. The man, the Lord of the land said to us, by this, I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me and I that I may know that you are not spies, but honest men, I will give your brother to you and you may trade in the land. So they they get a, a, a refresh of the story to their father, let him know what's going on. And then they're like, well, wait a second, dad. There's one other thing. Um, It came about as we were emptying their sack, as they were emptying their sacks. And behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were dismayed. Their father Jacob said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you would want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to shield and sorrow. And it is interesting that Jacob here at the request of Reuben is like... So what you're saying, Reuben, is that if I lose Benjamin, I can kill you. No no, no trade here. You, trading you for the life of Benjamin, no. Not going to do it. It's not worth it. His relationship with Reuben is not one that's clearly very good. And he isn't going to listen to, to Reuben. Reuben's right. This is what needs to have to happen. And Reuben is trying to convince him the only way he knows how, by offering himself up but Jacob will have none of it. Jacob doesn't believe that that's what's going to happen and now they've they're stuck with all this money in the sacks that they brought down and now it's been returned to them so it looks like they've stolen. Jacob has got to be terribly confused here. I don't fault Jacob at all for not wanting to send his son. It's not I wouldn't say well Jacob is playing favorites with Benjamin, I think. He has good cause not to trust these 10 boys. He had to know the character of his own children and what they, the sorrow they had brought them. And he's not going to trust them to make things right, especially when he doesn't understand how is it that you have all the money, you lost Simeon, you've told me this story, and you didn't spend a dime and you brought back all this grain. Uh, this makes no sense to me. No, you will not take him. I can see why it is that there is confusion and fear so chapter chapter 43 then now the famine was severe in the land so it came about when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them go back buy us a little food and that had to come that had to be a heavy statement for him to make cuz he knows what it means it isn't just that i'm hungry it's that I might lose Benjamin now, but we're all going to die. He sees and understands that. Go back, buy us a little food. Judah spoke to him, however, saying, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Israel said, why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, the man questioned particularly about us and our relatives saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. Could we possibly know that he would say, bring your brother down? Judas said to his father Israel, send the lad with me. And we will arise and go that we may live and not die. We as well as you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we do not, if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. So they need the food, and this time Judah steps forward and says, I will be the one responsible for my brother's life. Interesting, because they did not take responsibility for Joseph, but here Judah, even as Reuben had done, but Judah himself now has shown that he too understands that he is his brother's keeper. He is the one who is responsible For Benjamin. He is the one who is responsible even for the smallest of his brothers. He is the one who must care for him and take care of him. And then he ends it with kind of a dig at at Jacob. You know, if you had let us go, we'd be back twice by now. We need the food. You're not thinking clearly, Dad. This needs to take place. We need to do this. Now, I'd also say that there's a connection here that starts between big brother and little brother that is continued into the nation of Israel. Who are the two tribes? Tribe of Judah and tribe of Benjamin. How are they connected? Who's in the southern kingdom? The two kingdoms, the two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, which is Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Where do the kings of Israel come from? Not the tribes of Joseph, his two sons that each become a half-tribe, but from Benjamin and from Judah. Who's the least of the tribes? Is it Benjamin? So we start to see some of that come into play here, and I think there's a reason for that. And I think we start to see the connection between Benjamin and Judah somewhat. But just, just kind of a curious thing here, that those two tribes are going to be interconnected from here on out. It makes you wonder if their families weren't more connected as well. So, verse 11 then. Oh, and I should, I should mention, how has is, how is Joseph been referred to from about 29 in chapter 42 until t- verse 10 and 43? What do they keep calling him? They refer to him generically in verse seven, but they said the man questioned us. He keeps on being called the man. The man, the Lord of the land said to us back in verse 33. Over and over again, he's referred to as the man. Who else is referred to as the man? Behold the man. What does Pilate call Jesus when he presents him to the people? Behold the man. He's just a man. But it was a statement that was even greater. I think it was made even by Pilate as a, as a form of, of honor. And, and yes, he's just a man, but this is no ordinary man. And I think his brothers see that and they're starting to understand that this is a great man. The man, the man, the Lord of the land said to us, and in their minds they they built up this picture of this man that they don't even realize is their brother the man Joseph so then verse 11 we see the humility of Jacob Jacob is is humbled here he's stuck there's nothing more he can do so their father Israel the other name for Jacob said to them it must be so then do, if it must be so then do this take some of the best products of the land in your bags Carry down to the man as a present a little balm, a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and arise and return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release to you your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money in their hand and Benjamin. And they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. So uh, everything that we have of value, except by the way, you can't just live on a little bit of balm, honey, aromatic gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. You need bread. You need some form of real sustenance. So... While they were in a famine, they still had some of these things. Take the money; none of this is worth anything, and and Jacob realizes that. Look, I'm I, I either I lose Benjamin or I lose Benjamin, or I, and I'm going to lose everything. So I'm stuck. So Jacob is put to the point of humility, and I think that's important because God, remember. This is a story about moving the people of Israel to Egypt. And Jacob is one that I've left the land before. I'm not leaving it again. I know this is where I belong. And God is pushing and prodding and doing what it takes to get Jacob and all of his sons down into Egypt, that he might make a great nation of them. And this is the heartache and and trial that they are put through to make that happen for God's will to be carried out. The brothers are also humbled. Verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. So the men did as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we are being brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for slaves with our donkeys. So they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. So the picture here is, you know what he's doing? He's taking us off to this secret place where he can have at us. It's kind of like he's Lord of the entire land. I don't know why they think that that would be necessary I'm pretty sure he could have had them killed right there and then there and just been done with it, but you see that their guilt is still weighing heavy on their hearts, and even the guilt now of the money, which isn't their fault, and so they pull aside one of the the, the house steward to speak to him, and he said, Oh my lord.' We indeed came down the first time to buy food and it came about when we came to lodging place that we opened our sacks and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full, so we have brought it back in our hand. We've also brought down the other money in our hand to buy food. We we do not know who put our money in our sacks. So the house steward responds, be at ease, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks, I had your money, then he brought Simeon out to them. It is odd that that this steward knows who their god is, refers to him, and then refers to him as the god of your father and we 've seen that 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 title of God, god of. Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the God of your father, they just aren't getting it yet. Even the steward knows and understands that what has taken place thus far is in the providence of God. No, you don't understand. Don't worry. This is all the work of your God. And it makes you wonder, did they understand who their God was and what he was doing for them? I'd say No. Certainly not as well as this steward did. So they brought them into Joseph's house, Joseph house, and they gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys fodder. And they thought they were all going to be sold into slavery, and they were going to take their donkeys away from them. So they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. So they, they get all of their stuff they brought to give to Joseph the brothers are completely humbled though they're brought into this the the palace of Joseph and and they're giving him everything that they have they're worried that that uh they're upset about the money they took back with them they're worried about uh paying him enough this time and what all's going on and and in the depth of their guilt they forgot that God is actually sovereign over them that God is actually still at work, that they have not overcome the plans of God through their evil deeds towards Joseph, that God is actually working for their good, even though these are bad, evil men. And they've lost sight of it through their own sinfulness. There is a guilt that's good that drives you to repentance. And then there's a guilt that blinds you from the grace of God. And right now, that's in the situation they are in. Not even recognizing the servant's reference to the Hebrew God and who he is. And then 26 through 34, when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present which was in their hand and bowed to the ground before him. And they asked him about He asked them about their welfare and said, is your old father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And this had to be, you have to remember that they've gone away and they've been there long enough to use up the food and they've come back now. And Joseph is still wondering, is your father still alive? And they said, your servant, our father is well. Referring to now the rest of Joseph's dream, his own father is in submission to him. Your servant, our father is well, he is still alive. They bowed down in homage. As he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. And again, just overcome the relationship between the two of them. We're getting insight into what it was like before Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there just the side of the brother whom he loved. And it's it, the love is expounded. It, it, it's multiplied by the fact that his other brothers had rejected him. His other brothers had wanted to kill him. His other brothers had rejected his dreams, wanted nothing to do with him, sold him into slavery, sold him so he was good as dead to them. And now there's the one that didn't do that. And the connection he had for him and the love he had for them is just Overwhelming. So he washes his face and he comes out and he controlled himself and said, serve the meal. So they served him by himself and them by themselves because right now there's a lot of of class separation as well as ethnic separation that we're seeing here. And so he ate by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews. It's kind of funny that they are doing that right now. For that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked at one another in astonishment. It's like, how does he know this? You probably should have said that when they said your God, the God of the Hebrews. How does a servant know that? How do they know which who's the oldest and who's the youngest? So they look at each other with astonishment. And then I love this part. He took portions to them from his own table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of their others. So they feasted and drank freely with him. So we see that, that, that I just see four or five porterhouse steaks stacked up on Benjamin's plate with a great big bowl of mashed potatoes. And the rest of them have one steak and a little bowl of potatoes. I mean, they're, they're all eating well. But clearly, Benjamin's not going to eat five portions, but it was, here is the most honored among you, the youngest. And they had to be going, this makes no sense. But again, it's kind of how God works. Certainly, Abraham's youngest was the one who the line came through. Isaac's youngest was who the one the line came through. And here we're seeing the honoring of the youngest. Your birth order isn't as important as you guys make it out to be. Here's the one I, that I care for and the one that I'm going to honor. So one through thirteen. What time am I supposed to be done? Five till, or right up straight up? What? Okay, thank you. So verse forty-four, or chapter forty-four. Then he commanded his house stewards, saying, "Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. Put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest." and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. The servants must've just thinking, this guy is so messing with these guys. This is crazy. As soon as it was light, the men were sent away, they with their donkeys. It had to be hard for Joseph to send them away, but he's sending them away. He needs his father down there. Remember, God is moving them all down there. They had just gone out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to his house steward, okay, up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, which he indeed uses for divination? You have done wrong in doing this. And just as a quick aside, the cup used for divination, it doesn't mean that Joseph, I like MacArthur's notes on this, it doesn't mean that uh, the cup was used by Joseph in an act of divination or he had these special powers, it would have been a symbol of his ability probably to to interpret dreams as something he had done to achieve his power. But it was a symbol of who Joseph was and specifically what he had done. So he overtook them and spoke these words and they said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever are of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be your Lord, my Lord's slaves. So he said, now let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then they hurried, each man lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. He searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they tore their clothes. And when each man loaded his donkey, they returned to the city. They had to realize that now what happens is the life of Benjamin is now belongs to Joseph, at the very least as a slave. But he has a right to kill him. And they are now going to have to go back. So when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, He was still there and they fell to the ground before him. And Joseph said to them, what is this deed you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? Again, not saying that he does that. It's just, that's certainly what his servants would all believe. So Judah said, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak and how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of our servants. Behold, we are at my... Lord, We are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one whose possession the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me to do this. The man in whom possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Judah approached him. Again, we're seeing Judah interceding for his brothers and specifically for Benjamin here. And Judah approached him and said, O my Lord, may your servants please speak a word in my Lord's ears and do not be angry with your servant for you are equal to Pharaoh. Judah understands his position and he's treating Joseph with the respect that Joseph deserves. And he says, my Lord asked his servant, saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead. So he alone is left of his mother and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set his eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for should he leave his father, his father would die. And you said to the servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about when we went up to your servant, my father. We told him the words of my Lord. Our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we can't go back without our youngest brother. And we'll carry it. Well, I'll just keep going. If your youngest brother is with us, then we'll go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out for me. And I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol and sorrow. Now, therefore... When I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life. When he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go to my father If the lad is not with me for fear that I may see the evil that would overtake my father. And just to say that this whole story gets repeated and the reason it does is because now Joseph knows, not only do they understand that what they did was wrong to Joseph, but they understand that what they did to their father in the way they told him of Joseph's death was wrong. They understand the guilt they have and, and the apology that can never be made, but that should be made to their own father about what has happened. And Joseph now is seeing the heart of his brothers changing, specifically the heart of Judah. And we're seeing that Judah himself is setting himself up as the leader of all the brothers, the one who is willing to step up and take care of them and take responsibility for all of them. He's the one who's now speaking for the family and speaking for his father. He's not pleading his own innocence, and he's he's understanding the importance of of who Joseph is and whose Pharaoh is. And when we went through the qualities of Pharaoh that made him a good leader, we're seeing these same qualities appear in the life of a man who once sold his brother into slavery has seen what he's done, feels the guilt of it, and is showing change. How much more do we ourselves need to find ourselves in that position where we ourselves notice and realize our own guilt and realize the need for God to save us? That we ourselves need to repent, that we ourselves need to step up and act the part. We see Judah doing that here. And again, there's that bond between Judah and Benjamin that continues even 400 years later. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. Again, we thank you for these pictures and there's, there's much more that you can glean out of this as we look for examples that uh, point to Christ even in this situation, Lord. But specifically, Lord, we see you working your plan out for your kingdom and your people. And, and that should give us encouragement as the church is also a people of God and is also you have plans for us. And, and Lord, we don't always understand it, but I pray that we would learn submission to you and your will in good times and bad. That we'd recognize our own sin and guilt and, and repent, Lord, admit it and bring them to you and honor you as the God that you are. Pray now that you'll be with us as we worship you in song and the preaching of your word and prayer. Amen.